You have been made with a specific purpose and with specific gifts to accomplish your mission. This is Requip, and I am Scott Schneiderman. Stay tuned to gain insights that will help you be more successful in doing the work of ministry. And we're so glad that you're joining us on this journey that we've been going through. And we are now all the way to part seven of Renew's Discipleship Curriculum. Now, I want to emphasize that this section where we have gone from things to know and then now we're transitioning into prepare to go. And it's broken up in these two distinct ways to get our minds set right. The Bible tells us to prepare our minds for action. And we want to start to do that because going, and we're not talking about distance, we're not talking about a location, but we are talking about a direction. We're talking about a mind shift where we are thinking in terms of we are God's ambassadors. We've been put here for a purpose, and we've, we are taking on the charge. We're taking on what God has given to the church, but what God has also given to you individually to go and make disciples. And we've made it all the way to part seven of Renew's Discipleship Curriculum. If you're following along, I want to encourage you, make sure you get this, re-quip.org, requip.org, and you can get this curriculum that we've been going through. And um, we are just continuing to plug along through. And like I said, this is a critical point because we're making that shift. We're making that transition to where we are now preparing to go. And I'm just so glad of all the growth. I'm glad to see everyone coming along. And you've been discussing this uh, in a group, hopefully. And you've been just going back over this again and again. And God is beginning to grow you in a lot of ways. And I'm just excited for this. Hey, but if you're just jumping on right now and you're listening to this for the first time, you're listening to the podcast, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and we're glad that you're here as well. And don't forget to go to the website, re-quip.org, requip.org, and we can continue to help you along this journey and give you tools and equip you to do the work that God's prepared you to do. But we're talking about Part 7 of Read News Discipleship Curriculum, and this is communicating with God. Communicating with God. I want to start off with the big picture, So we always like to do. Just start from the wide angle, the big picture of what's going on. God does not just want you to be a servant, but to actually have a relationship like a son and a daughter. As we've talked about in previous podcasts and previous lessons where God He's given you the righteousness of Christ. He's adopted you into the family. And the Bible is so clear that God doesn't need us to serve him like we have anything to give to him anyway. God wants us to have a real, vibrant relationship with him and not just complete tasks so he's happy with us. There's nothing we can do that God can be happy with us. He's proud of us because we walk in his ways. He's proud of us because we're trusting in Jesus. He's proud of us because we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We're just being guided along by the Holy Spirit. 
But communication is key in every single relationship. This is something that we com- we get, we understand in physical relationships. This is the same in spiritual relationships as well. The relationship with God is no different. Sometimes we think of our relationship with God with these cultural, religious lenses that we sort of put on. God really just wants us to talk to Him, and He wants us to hear from Him. If we start to think of it in that way, we, it begins to change our mindset on prayer and also reading the Bible and hearing from God. And, and with that, there are two basic ways to commune with God or communicate with God, which is prayer and reading the Bible. Those are the two primary ways that God communicates with him. Now, I also want to say God communicates with us in other ways. We talked about all the way back to the first lesson, that God has this general revelation that he's revealed himself through nature. And that's also an amazing thing, that we can worship God through the things he's made. We see all that he's made, but then we got to communicate with him and worship him and give him thanksgiving because then that's where that relationship really comes. Often the scripture and prayer can be accompanied by worship. Like that can happen. And even when you go back to kind of the original text and when you go back to the original ways that even back to Judaism, when it was, you know, the right way, it was the it was the, the thing that God gave this relationship to his people. When they thought of prayer, it wasn't just prayer, but it was prayer and worship. These things were combined, and often, if you found yourself in worship, don't you also kind of pray at the same time? God loves this. This is a good thing. So, so we shouldn't just separate these things even though maybe in our worship service we have them parsed out, but you should be doing these things together. They, they are just sort of different expressions, but we pray and we worship and, and then we're reading the Bible and that even causes us to worship him. So now if you're following along, we're going to key takeaways. The first thing I want to talk about is hearing from God. Yeah, I remember hearing one guy that I was talking to, and he actually said something profound. I don't know why I never even thought of this at the time. This was years and years ago. But he said something like, why do you go to church? And somebody wasn't able to answer it. And I was actually thinking like, hmm, why do we go to church? And he said something profound. He said, well, why else to commune with God? Like, that's exactly right. We're not going out of some religious duty. If you are, that is ridiculous. Stop doing that. But go because you want to commune with the living God. So we're hearing from God now. We want to talk about that. God has spoken audibly. But most Christians do not have this experience. As it tells us in Hebrews 1, verse 1 through 2, it says, In the past, God spoke to his ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by the Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. So what it's saying is, yeah, in the past, through the old covenant, 
spoken to it through the prophets and, and given us the prophets and the law. And that's how God's communicated specifically. But now it's saying in the new covenant, in these last days, if you're not sure if you're in the last days, well, you definitely are because it was after Jesus came. And it says in these last days, he's spoken to us through the son. And the son is the word of God. And he's spoken to us through the Bible, through the word of God, through the testimony of Jesus. Maybe you've heard someone say something like this. I'm just waiting to hear from the Lord. You might wonder what in the world they're talking about, but but of course, sometimes people just say that and they, they just don't really know what it means or are waiting for God to audibly speak to, him, to them in some booming voice that's just raining down from heaven. But absent of some miraculous sign like that where God is audibly speaking, which we know he can and he has in the past, but typically that's not what he does. Typically... He speaks to us through the scriptures. He also speaks to us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, providing peace to us. Maybe you've heard people say, yeah, I just had a peace about that. I just, I just felt peace. Now, we can't just only go off that, of course, because God matches up with himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. He matches up. So if we get a piece about something, well, guess what? It's going to match up in lines with things that God has already said. It might not be specifically what you're dealing with. So you can't just say, oh, I'm waiting on this next promotion to see if I can put in for this promotion. So I'm going to read the Bible and see if God tells me to put in this promotion. Well, no, God didn't say that you should put in for this supervisory role in this new job. Of course, he didn't say that in the Bible, but you can get some principles through God's word. And maybe if that falls in line with the things that he's speaking to you in the spirit, that's one of the ways that you can know that it's true. And the third way that God often speaks to people is from other Christians. Did you know that? Have you ever had anybody come up and say that? That's only happened to me a few times where I've had a word for somebody. Very few. But um, when that happens, I just say, this sounds crazy. I, I don't even know. Like, just match this up with the word of God and prayer. But I just feel like, I just believe that God is telling me to tell you this. It's been accurate. and um, But we need, to, we need to be cautious about that. But we also need to be bold at the same time. We know God's spoken to us, and we need to share that because that's the way that God speaks to us at times. That's one of the ways where he gives a word to another part of the body, another Christian within the church that he wants to communicate and tell you that. And God's word, the Bible, is the primary means and standard for his voice to Christians. We have to remember that, that the Bible really is the standard, and it really is the primary voice that God speaks to us, because we can trust the Bible as as we've talked about before. So we measure everything that God says and and everything that comes up, like, "Ah, does that match up to God's character? Does that match up to some of the things that he said in the past? Everything in the Bible is not a template, as we've said. It's, it's not going to be exactly what it's going to be in the future. Because remember, the Bible 
The point of the Bible is to communicate God's rescuing nature, how God is reconciling and rescuing all humanity back to himself. But it is a standard, and it can really help us to know who God is. That is the specific revelation that God's given us where we get to really know him. You know, when you really know somebody, you can distinguish if that was what they said. You can really distinguish, yeah, that that definitely came from them. Too often, though, we don't really read the Bible, and we just sort of uh, create a God in our heads. Maybe you've come encounter with that. Maybe you've done that yourself. But you're like, oh, my God would never say that. Or my God would never ask me to do that. Or my God would never let me or have me give that thing up because that's part of my identity. That's who I am. Well, did God reveal himself in the Bible already? Did God already speak to an issue like that? Maybe it was something involved with your sexuality. Maybe it was something involved with gender or or roles or um, communicating the Bible, whatever it might be. That's why it's so important to read the Bible so you figure out who God is. We want to really know the real God. What a tragedy it would be to fall in love with a God that doesn't exist. A God that you've created, that we've created in our own minds. We want to know who the real God is. That should be our prayer. God, just show me who you are. I want to read the Bible. I want to, I want to hear something from you. I want to talk about a topic that is very important. The Bible is both literal and figurative. You know, at times, maybe you've heard this. I know I've come across this several times. But at times, maybe we hear Christians will proclaim things like, I take the Bible literally. Usually, it's intended with the right spirit. Don't get me wrong. You know, I don't want to cast a shadow and make a broad brush blanket statement about everybody. But sometimes, it's said in such a way where it means every single thing that's written is literal, just literally like I mean it. The Bible is taken literal. However, Christians sometimes take this to mean that God never intended us to take things figurative. But I'm going to give some examples to show you that, no, God definitely meant some things in his Bible, a lot of things in his Bible, to be taken figurative. Now, the principle is literal in the sense that we need to do it. We need to follow it because we want to we want to follow the real God. We want to follow the God that we invent. So that's why we really need to read the Bible. We really need to see what is God actually saying. But if God never intended us to take anything figurative, what do we do with some of these? For example, because people say the Bible is literal, they may claim the Bible says the earth is flat. It's true that the Bible is literal, but it's also figurative too. We also find exaggeration or hyperbole in the scriptures. And man, Jesus did this all the time. And we do this in normal language, don't we? We we use exaggeration. You say, man, that was a slam dunk. That presentation you gave was a slam dunk. Wow, when you turned in that book report, it was a home run. Are we literally saying it was a slam, like somebody picked up a basketball and slam dunked it into a hoop? Are we literally saying that somebody hit a home run or a grand slam? 
in baseball? No, we're, we're, we're exaggerating the point and we're, we're using figurative language to drive the point home that that was a great presentation that you gave. You did a great job. God is the same way. We, we have to see God is the same type of way because guess what? We're made after him. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push here a little bit again. Maybe you're thinking, no, no, I'm, I'm taking the Bible literal. All right. If the Bible is literal, then we must also conclude that Jesus is a literal door. He's made of wood. He has hinges. He has a knob. And it tells us that in John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus said, I'm the door. You know, Jesus also said, I'm the vine. So is Jesus literally growing out of the ground? And he's a vine that's attached himself to a tree or something like that. Tells us that in, in John chapter 15, verse 5, after all. Or, or what about Jesus is literally bread. Like he's made of yeast and dough. And he was put in the oven. And then he was taken out of the oven. And he is bread. Well, it says that in John chapter 6, verse 35. Or maybe Jesus, or, you know, God describes himself, he is actually has wings that are just like an eagle. Well, it tells us that in Psalm 91, verse 4. In Christians, in fact, if you didn't know, the Bible is all completely literal. Christians eat flesh, like they eat human flesh, and they drink human's blood. Well, it tells us that in John chapter 6 verse 54 and we also know that john the baptist the bible tells us in in matthew eleven eighteen that john the baptist came neither eating or drinking well so he's the only human recorded in history never to eat or drink a day in his life well it says that right there in the bible i mean that's the bible is literal right if there's no hyperbole then we should expect christians to gouge out their eye when they sin, in Matthew 18, verse 9. What, could you imagine you hear that in church? And then that literally happens. Say, hey, if you've ever sinned, you know, I just want you to come up to the front. Just want you to pray for somebody. They're going to help you clean up after yourself, after um, you gouge out your own eye, and you cast it into the sea. Um, so if you could come forward, we're going to pray with you. We're going to wipe up the blood as much as possible and send you right to the emergency room. But I'm pretty sure Jesus was using hyperbole. Or maybe a rich person should measure their eternal security based on if a camel can literally go through the eye of a sewing needle. I mean, it tells us that in Matthew 19, 24. No, okay, I know that was a lot, but that, those were just a few. I mean, the Bible is replete with examples of hyperbole, meaning exaggeration or figurative type of language that's not meant to be taken literal. All right, all right, I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on now to the next point. Do not just read scriptures, but read passages. Too often, Christians attempt to apply scriptures to situations that do not truly fit. Now, this is, I'll just be, I'll just be frank here. Uh, oh, that, that was not literal. My, my name is Scott. But we're, to be honest here, we are to apply scripture. We're to apply true principles to situations that God's actually made promises to or, or something that's revealed God's character. When we take scriptures like out of context and we just 
apply a scripture. God is giving me this promise. Well, if you read a couple passages later, of course, we never take those curses. You know, maybe we're reading from the Old Testament. We're going to read some of these promises that are meant for the children of Israel as they're walking out of captivity and into freedom. We can take some of those principles, but we're not going to take that scripture and declare that over our lives. That's just not the way God intended the Bible. It doesn't make any sense. So we really, I mean, think about it. We really want God to communicate with us. We don't want this pretend God that we create from all the verses that we mash together to tell us things that we want to hear. Man, I just want to hear what God actually says. God of all creation that made everything, he spoke and the universe came into existence. The only being that could ever, would ever, and will ever create out of nothing. I want to hear from him. I don't want to hear from me because when we just mash all these scriptures together that don't apply to us, when we take scriptures instead of passages, we then create a false God. So I want to give you a tool that will help you read the Bible a little bit more carefully and help you read and see what is God actually telling me? What is God actually communicating to me? This is the stop method, and this is a simple method. There's plenty of different models, but this is one. I think it's pretty helpful. So it's STOP. It's it's an acronym, S-T-O-P. For S, that is the situation. We're figuring out what is the situation of the passage. Or maybe you're reading a verse. You need to hear, you need to figure out what's going on here. What's the situation? What is the context what is happening in these passages before it and after it and what is the book about and what's going on in history and maybe we can't know all of that right away maybe you don't have that that's okay that's why we are the body of christ that's why we should be in groups that's why we should be gathered around people that maybe you have a deficiency and you do you should be together with people that can help with their thing that they've been giving, their gift. And guess what? They have a deficiency that you can help fill. That's the way that God's designed it. It is really like a body. Okay, moving on. Now, going in the stop method. So S with situation. T is type of literature. Type of literature. As we've talked about the Bible before, the type of literature or the the type of book determines kind of how you read it. So when you're reading through the book of Psalms, it is very figurative. It is poetic. It it takes it, it's true and it also a lot of it proclaims true prophecies that would literally happen in the future about Jesus. But it's written in a figurative and poetic way. So you got to get the type of literature that it is. The O and stop is object. What is the object of the passage? You're just reading the sentences. Maybe you have to read a few passages before and after. But what is really the focus of this? Well, let me give you a common one that, that people uh, kind of take out of context or use impro- improperly. And maybe you've heard sermons this way, and maybe this is you. Um, and and uh, sorry to take this away from you, but we need to do that. So, for example, 
David and Goliath is one of the the biggest ones that we often, at least modern culture, we've taken out of context to to take the object and made us the object. So David throws a stone, sends a stone through a sling and hits Goliath and he's a giant and he collapses and he dies and David kills him. Sometimes we'll hear, well, God is raising you up to slay giants. And a giant is is a problem or circumstance in your life. Well, that is not at all what the passage or the the story is about. The object of the story is that God empowered David to overcome it. And we aren't David. David is to symbolize Jesus. Jesus is the one that overcomes. You know, who are we in the story? Well, we're probably uh, maybe the Philistine, all right? Uh, but but maybe we're the other Israelites that are just cowering, that pretended like we were strong, that have all this armor on, but we're too afraid to use it. But thank God that Jesus steps in. So we got to get the object of what is the writer actually trying to communicate? Who is the object of the passage? And going along in the stop method, the P is prescriptive or descriptive. This is so critically important. This helps us in a lot of those challenging passages. Prescriptive means God is writing this to us like we are the object. Christians are the object. And he is prescribing us to do something. He's prescribing us. He's telling us to do something. As we've been going through this curriculum, we've been going through this talk and discipleship. It's all about the mission of every Christian and every church is to make disciples. So we're sharing the gospel. That is prescript. He's prescribing us to do that. But other passages, and a lot of passages in the Bible, are descriptive. That means they're just describing what's happening. It's history. For example, David um, committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed Uriah the Hittite, her husband. Is that prescriptive? I don't think so. Like, I'm pretty sure not, uh, right? We we know that from, re- but when you read the whole story, you get that, okay, God's not telling me to do exactly what David did just because it says it in the Bible. No, it's just describing something that happened in the Bible. And a lot of those difficult passages that you have, maybe it's some that talk about slavery. Maybe it's those difficult passages talking about servitude or slavery. Those are always descriptive. They're just describing what happened. Is that God's original plan that there would be slavery on the earth? Of course not, but it's describing what happened. Now I want to transition. All right, talking to God. Now this is us. Now we've heard from God through his word, and now we're turning and talking to God. One of the most amazing passages in the Bible about praying to God is James chapter 5 verse 17. It says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. So now it's describing what Elijah did, but it's kind of prescribing who we are. It's saying, Elijah, yeah, he did this through prayer. He asked God, and it happened. But guess what? He was just a man just like us. He was a human being just like us. We have the same access. And you know, even more, we have the indwelling 
of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. So we get to communicate. We get to pray to God. Prayer typically changes us first, and then God moves in the situation. Have you ever noticed that that happens a lot of times? If, you're, if you've been praying, man, it just begins to change us. It begins to shift our mindset. And then all of a sudden, you start to see God moving in that situation. Praying the way Jesus model often changes the Christian's mindset and heart, which is needed to pray according to God's will. The next thing is fasting is part of the Christian prayer life. Tells us this, I want you to go back and read this, but Matthew 4, 2, Matthew 6, verse 16, and Acts 13, verse 2. Notice Jesus mentioned fasting as if it were given in a believer's prayer life. Like this is something that maybe you don't do every, obviously you don't do every day. Maybe you don't even do it every week. But this is something that throughout the year, you should be doing this. He's saying this is this is part of, this is, it'd be almost like if you never prayed. And you would think that's strange if you never communicated with God. Well, fasting is a, a way that we couple that with prayer and we begin to communicate with God a little bit more deeply. Because one of the things that it does, fasting, which always in the Bible, always in the scriptures, fasting is abstaining from food. Now, I know a lot of people fast um, social media, or maybe you're fasting, going on uh, TV, you know, watching TV or something like that. Okay, you can do that, but biblical fasting, I'm teaching the Bible here, biblical fasting is abstaining from food. And I'm just going to trust God. Maybe he knows something about our own bodies that, that we don't know. There's something with abstaining from food and then seeking God. I've heard it said this way. When we fast, we say no to the flesh and we say yes to the spirit. We say no to the flesh and we say yes to the spirit. So what hinders prayer? Listen to what it it says in James um, chapter 4 verse 2 because he's saying, we know that God has told us that we have not because we ask not. That's that's famous there in James 4.2. But sometimes we're left with the question, okay, why is he not answered our prayer. And sometimes before I even get into this, before you shouldn't feel condemnation. You shouldn't feel like God has left you. But sometimes God doesn't answer because he's really, he has answered, but he's just said, wait. God typically says yes, no, or wait. But the first bullet there is unbelief. Unbelief is something that hinders our prayer. James 1.6 says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because it's a trust thing. It's about trust. That's why God wants us to pray. God doesn't need us to ask for anything because the Bible even says that God knows what we need before we ask. So the question isn't, I need to pray so God can give me things. He wants us to pray because he wants us to trust him. That's the whole point. The next thing is pride and selfishness. This hinders our prayers. This hinders our prayers from being answered. James 4, 3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. <laughs> it knows that not much has changed. I mean, how many times have we prayed to get more money? How many times have people prayed, let me just win the lottery. Let me just 
get this. Well, it's, man, it's with the wrong motives. If it wasn't, I, I'm sure if, if God wanted you to have it, you would have that promotion. You would have that extra, or maybe you just haven't stewarded what you have. We're going to talk about stewardship later. <laughs> Let me stay on track. The next thing is poor treatment of your spouse. Uh-oh. <laughs> yes, he went there. God went there. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, consider as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker or more um, for special kind of, it's almost like um, I've heard people when they translate that, it's not weaker as in like less valuable. It's actually um, just as valuable, but it's like fine china, but but they're they're more delicate. But he's saying as the more delicate partner, and heir, so he's, he's given that equality there, and as heirs with you of your gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. He's saying, yeah, they're, they're equal to you, and in fact, God's made women in such a way, and spouses in such a way, wives, that they are like fine china. They should be your, they should be like a treasure, Man, if you begin to see your spouse as a treasure, I am telling you, God is going to start answering prayers. Why? Because all of a sudden, you're trusting what he said. You're trusting that this being that is right here that God created so that you can have a relationship, that your marriage models Christ in the church, it tells a bigger story than yourself. And it's also saying, I, I trust you because this person is worth value. This person is so worthy that Jesus came and died on the cross for their sins. Man, God loves them. So if we think we can mistreat them and God's all, all of a sudden going to answer our prayers, I don't think so. That's not going to happen. It, it just doesn't even make any sense. I mean, think about if you are mistreating somebody's daughter and you say, hey, well, I want you to buy me that. You know, in fact, <laughs> I've actually said that to my son once. Uh, okay, maybe more than once. But he was doing something, and uh, he was picking on his sister or doing something. I think he, he treated her um, mean. Maybe he called her a name. And I just looked sternly at him. I said, don't you ever talk to my daughter that way. Who do you think you are? Don't talk to my daughter that way, and you think you can get something from me. You need to correct that before we can restore this. And I believe that's how God thinks of us when we mistreat our spouses. The next point is unforgiveness hinders our prayers. Listen to what it says in Mark 11, verse 25. And when you are standing praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, for that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. So it's this idea where this principle where if we are unforgiven to somebody else, which you know what that means when we're not forgiving someone else, we're saying we're going to hold back some vengeance. You know, God said vengeance is mine, but we're saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not letting God deal with that. I'm going to take out my vengeance and I'm going to have this unforgiveness. I'm going to hold this. I'm going to do something against this other person. Well, we can't have that kind of heart and, and get God to answer our prayers. So that's just a few things. I want to move on. So how did Jesus pray? Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13. This is so important. This is so amazing. This is what's often called the Lord's Prayer. 
But really, this is the, the disciples' prayer. This is the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We think about, you know, we're into this study here. Jesus, the disciples were with him day in, day night for a while. And then all of a sudden they said, hey, you know, I noticed that um, John the Baptist's disciples, he taught them to pray. Hey, why don't you teach us to pray? Like, that's kind of important. And so Jesus says, this is how I'm going to teach you to pray. I'm going to break this down and then tell you, what what does this model? Because if we just repeat this prayer, that, that really doesn't do anything. Because we need to partner with God. We're trusting God in the things that he said. And this can model, this. if you're like, I have a hard time praying, trust me, do it this way and you'll be able to extend your prayer. Not that you're trying to have long prayers, but you want to have a conversation with God. And this is the one of the ways Jesus said, hey, this is how you can do it. Starts off, our Father in heaven. So how does this help you? We pray to him as a relational father. Sometimes I'll, I'll say that, oh God, our Father, Lord, thank you for, for showing yourself as a father. I mean, God could have shown himself in any way, but he chose to show himself as the heavenly father, the provider, the um, one that takes care of us. I love that. The next thing is, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, how does this help us? What does this tell us? What's the principle? It models for us his ways are above our ways. And God answers prayers according to his will and purpose. So you notice how this begins to shift our mindset? We're first like almost praising God. We're starting off just praising him and recognizing him as the creator, him as the father. But then we we make a, a shift, but we're still reshaping our mind we're saying we want your name to be seen as great as hallowed Man, i just want your will to be done just like it is in heaven i want you to bring your will that's up in heaven it's perfect everything's going exactly the way that you plan because you haven't allowed you haven't given dominion to anyone else you have taken complete control i want that to be like it is in here i, I want i want earth to be like that Father, could you help us? We we want your kingdom to come. And you can just pray it in that kind of way. The next thing is, give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So what does this tell us? What does this help us? It models for us, this is where we ask for our personal issue and situation. Man, God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear what is really going on in your life. What are your actual questions for him? What are your actual petitions? What are those sins? You're like, I've I've done this again. I've blown it again. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me as I also forgive others that have sinned against me. Again, you're, you're saying, I'm not holding that sin. Somebody sinned against me. I'm not holding that against them. I don't want my prayers to be hindered. I just want your will to be done. And that's some of the ways that God has given us prayer. And I, man, this has been critical. This has been a little bit longer, but this has been so much worth it. This has been so great to hear. This is how we get to commune with God. Now, as always, I want us to follow God's command to always be prepared for action. 